I have not heard this one, so. Okay, well, I am going to let you know now. There's a lot of, it, it took me a lot to do it. And then I became obsessed with it. <laughs> so, for my episode today, I'm doing the Tot family. I know we've spoke about it before in previous episodes briefly. It's one that's kind of stuck with me ever since I listened to it. So, yeah, let's start off with, like, you guys have the document pulled up in front of you. What do you notice about the family and the pictures? They appear to be a typical American family. Smiles, like, they all look very happy together. I like the one picture with the Christmas in the background they're all wearing matching pajamas like the little dog it looks like it's smiling yeah it does that's breezy everybody's wearing matching pajamas i mean to me that screams happy like very put together happy family Everybody's well, it's it's either they're put together, so look at me, look at me to show people what they think people think happy looks like. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're on Facebook, people only will post the good stuff to make them look a certain way. And then, you know, what's going on in, in the walls of the home or something different. So they look happy on the outside. Okay, so you're going with the they're putting on a fake happy face. Yes, that's yeah, that's my take. Yeah, because I mean, look, that's t- that's totally posed. They've got the dog. I mean, the dog is beautiful. Okay, the dog. So I think the I think that one is definitely. I think that one's posed, but I think the one with them that's pulled looks like well, the three kids and the mom. This picture doesn't look forced, whereas the Christmas picture does look forced. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so before we get started with this episode, I do want to say that there's a lot of trigger warnings. There's talk about suicide talk about family annihilation, murder, miscarriages. Okay. What is the first thing you think about when someone mentions November? You think of Thanksgiving, right? Spending time with family, friends, eating way more food than any one person should. And it's also um, Scorpio season. That sums November up in a nutshell. The Tot family was no different. Although living in Florida, Megan and Anthony Tote grew up in a small town in Connecticut and still had family there. There is also, that is also where Tony worked. He flew from his home in Celebration, Florida, and would spend the week in Connecticut before flying home again to spend the weekend with his family. This dude, yes, your face says it all. This dude traveled a lot. What did he do? So he is a physical therapist. He has his own thing, but we'll get into it. We'll get into it. it. There's a whole, there's a lot, there's a lot of layers to this onion. So just hold up. 
He flew from his home in Celebration, Florida, and would spend the week in Connecticut before flying home again on the weekend to spend time with his family. Holidays were no different. The family would fly out to Connecticut, spend some time with their families, and then come back. They did this for many years. This was normal for them. Once they moved to Florida, they never missed a holiday in Connecticut. However, everything changed in 2019 when the Top family were missing from the family table at Thanksgiving. Seemed strange to their loved ones. They didn't question it. They were receiving text messages regularly. They figured it's okay. Christmas time, same deal. However, they had received many text messages from Megan's phone at one point that may have relieved some of the worries that the family may have felt, but those worries were short-lived. Some distant family members felt as if the text messages weren't really coming from Megan at all. So let's talk about Tony. Let's start off with Tony. He was a devoted physical therapist in Connecticut, known to be the best around. In the podcast, Looking for the Talk Family, you can hear a woman's description of Tony and how well-loved he was amongst families suffering. Anybody who needed his service talked highly of him. This lady talks about her daughter and the illness she dealt with on a daily basis. She goes on about the numerous doctors she attended and all the care her daughter received without any relief for her daily pain. She was skeptical at first when she heard about Anthony Tote being one of the best physical therapists, but she gave him a try and found that he was a gift from God. He was what they were looking for for a therapist. He worked miracles that other doctors failed to produce. Tony was reliable and would help the family and their daughter whenever they needed it. Some days it hurt her to get out of bed, but with Tony's help, this child would be back in school the next day like nothing ever happened. So when this lady had received a phone call saying the office had to reschedule her doctor's appointment, she was devastated. The office staff stated that Tony's wife became ill and that there was an emergency back home that he needed to tend to. Although this lady appreciated him putting his family first, her daughter was suffering. She called back the following week and again they rescheduled. At this point, her daughter really needed his help, but they chose to take their daughter somewhere else in the meantime until he returned to his practice. Weeks flew by, and Tony was still unavailable. With Thanksgiving coming up soon, this lady knew her daughter wasn't going to be seen soon. But, like, none of the other doctors could figure out what was wrong with her, and he just looked at her and was like, I think you have this problem. And, like, apparently he was known to do that. He was known to look at people and be like, you look like you're suffering with this. And they got checked out for it. And it was, like, a, you know, miracle. And she was school age? Yes. She was young. I couldn't imagine. Weeks turned into months, and the office warned the family that they were closing for Christmas and New Year's the entire two weeks and suggested finding a new doctor. In the meantime, when this lady called back after the holidays, the phone was disconnected. She had no idea why. This was out of character for Tony. Every patient loved Tony. He was described as a wonderful man and a joy to be around. Anybody who needed help received it. 
even if Tony didn't know them, he was overall this kind, caring person. He was even said to be the most successful in his high school yearbook. In that same yearbook were several photos of Megan and Tony. They were high school sweethearts and always happy and so full of life. Tony was a star athlete with a promising future ahead of him. So he was super smart. He was, let's just say, so he was good at everything he did. Yeah. So, so the psychology in me says like he was more like a perfectionist. He expected perfection. He expected like he had certain standards. And so when somebody does that, um, they put a lot of pressure on themselves, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And the older you get and the more responsibilities, the more expectations, I see where you're going with the whole thing. You know me. I like to dive into people's past and figure out who, why, what, and when made them turn into the monster that they became. Turns out, Tony had a very shitty childhood as well. Like, although he looked great on paper, he, you know, everybody had nothing but positive things to say about him. His childhood was shitty. And I I, I have to restrain myself from telling you. I will tell you pretty soon. But just keep in mind that his childhood was terrible. Very traumatizing. Okay, enough about Tony. Megan, star athlete, you know, if there was a popularity contest, she would have won it. Uh, she, everybody described her as the human embodiment of sunshine. Like, she was just so bright and caring. She had this, like, mother figure. Like, she was very motherly to her friends, you know. Everybody just loved Megan. She was a stay-at-home mom that, like, everybody dreams of being. She cooked everything from scratch. You know, everything was healthy, wholesome. Her kids were well-fed. She homeschooled the older boys. Although they did go to, like, a monastery elementary school. They played piano. Mom taught yoga. Very fit, active, and healthy. Although she was all that, she was also shy and backwards in her older age. You know, she used to be the social butterfly, but, you know, we all change with children. That's curious, though. Her personality switched. I thought so, too. Okay. Her neighbors said that, for the most part, she just kind of, like, kept her herself. She'd be like, hey, how's it going? We'll keep walking. The boys, Alex and Tyler, were always together, usually playing sports either together or with a neighbor kid. Those neighbors stated that they've never saw those two boys fighting like siblings normally do, at least not to their knowledge. They're always so protective of their little sister Zoe and help their mom. Like they're very well respectful, well-behaved children. Uh, The neighbor even stated how when they first moved in, the boys were the first to, uh, come over to their house and be like, do you have kids? We want somebody to play with. And the neighbors invited them into their house. And the little boys looked at them and said, my mom told me not to go into a stranger's house. So overall, the Tots had been living the American dream. They had the perfect husband, perfect wife, 
perfect relationship, beautiful house, kids, you know, you name it, they had it. They almost seemed to be living like a movie straight from Hollywood. Their house in Celebration, Florida, was in a small community where the lawns were well manicured and houses were perfectly tidy. They even said in the podcast, we're uh, looking for the tots, that apparently this community is like a, a Disney community. It's really close to Disney World. They had fake fall leaves that would shoot off the trees at fall time for children. They had fake snow. They had fake bird sounds, which is kind of weird. Like it, it was very, very Disney. Like they kept the magic inside this community, but it was also like full of people who traveled a lot. So like people weren't always home, which we'll get into that as well. So what led to all of this? What led to all the missing person reports being filed? The numerous wellness checks by several people. How did this all come about? The landlord, amongst one of those who requested a wellness check, hadn't been paid in months. Apparently, one month's rent for this family was $5,000 a month. What? It's not even they own the house. It's a rental. It's in Disney. It's like celebration in Disney World. I mean, you're paying for the animated birds and the snow and the the leaves. So, yeah, you're you're paying for... Look at me, look at me. $5,000 a month for rent. He also owned condo for his family. Like if they came to visit, they could stay there. So he had two locations in Florida. He traveled every week, multiple times a week, to and from Florida and Connecticut. And that adds up. Yeah, sounds like he has a lot of money, right? Well, he probably has a lot of miles, like airline miles, you know? Yeah, definitely. Turns out his physical therapy office was under investigation from the FBI for Medicare fraud. Yeah, I, I, I wish everybody could see your face right now. I do make some pretty great faces. <laughs> she does. She does. Well, wasn't um, Megan, wasn't she in a, like a physical therapist as well? She was at one point, but they don't really go into much detail, so I don't know. I think I had read somewhere where she was part of that practice, but maybe when the children were born or... They both were in physical therapy. I think they both went to school for it, but I don't know. It doesn't go into detail as to what she done. You know, her job title at the time of her death was stay-at-home mom. Some may claim that he was living way beyond his means, and that was what led to the Medicare fraud investigation. Just keeping up with his life, his way of life, demanded a lot of money and had to come from somewhere. Nonetheless, they were also on the verge of getting evicted. So, you know, you got the pressure of your business. You got the pressure of supporting your family. Now you might be losing your house. So he was like four or three? She was four. I jumped around a lot. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just trying to figure out, like, the, the and the older two were older. You said, what, 13 and 11? 13, 11, and four. Keep in mind that she was four years old. You're going to need to know that for later. Hold on tight. I know that was a lot of information right off the bat, but this is going to be a 
gut-wrenching story that I had a hard time listening to on my favorite podcast, Crime Junkie. Quick shout out to Ashley Flowers and Britt. I don't know what her last name is. She always just says, hi, I'm Britt. I want to read her book. I have not listened to Crime Junkie, but I want to read All Good People here because I hear nothing but good stuff about it. Yes, I need to get, I need to read that as well. So if you get it, let me know. I hear it's good. No, I love that. You know, quick shout out to them. They're amazing people. Their episode covering the Todd family was actually my inspiration for this episode. I listened to them religiously on Mondays. So when this episode came on and Ashley says, happy Monday, everybody. I'm going to ruin your day. And that was the first time you've ever heard her say something like that. So I was like, this has to be a juicy one. But ever since listening to that episode, I have not been able to forget about the top family. So recap here. The Tot family consisted of husband and wife, Anthony and Megan Tot. Their three beautiful children, Alex, Tyler, Zoe, ages 13, 11, and 4. They also had a dog named Breezy, who was well-loved by everybody in the family. On January 13th, just 15 minutes away from Disney World, the police were outside the Tot family's home to serve a warrant for Anthony's arrest. I hate this date. I mean, I don't hate this date, but... I know, and as as soon as I wrote that down, like, in my mind, I changed January to December. It was 2020, correct? Thanks, you just ruined my Sunday. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's okay, it's okay. I literally had it written down as January, or as December, and then, like, as I was typing, I was like, none of this makes sense. How did this happen before they... Anyways... They went back and changed it, and it was January. Tony's business back in Connecticut was in some legal trouble. Patients of his were being overcharged for services that never actually happened, otherwise known as insurance fraud. He was actually charging people for Saturdays, and his business wasn't even open on Saturdays. Like, he just kept charging people for things, like, even after they stopped seeing him. When police showed up in his neighborhood, they knew just which house to go to. Between Tony's sister, the landlord, and even police officers in neighboring towns, multiple calls came in for wellness checks to be done to the family. Tony's sister had claimed that she hadn't heard from Megan or Tony, which seemed strange to her. She heard they became very ill from the flu and had canceled travel plans due to family recovering from this illness. When she called to check up on them, nobody in the house picked up their phones. She tried each family member's cell phone, but nobody replied. She claims that Megan texted her at one point about the world ending soon, which seemed out of character and odd for her. It wasn't until some nobody heard from them in a while that the family began connecting pieces of the puzzle and were calling for wellness checks left and right, just trying to get eyes on the family. However, every time they went, to check out the house the lights are off the blinds were drawn it looked as if nobody was there which is normal given the location and while all this is going on nobody knew what was going on in connecticut the landlord's note stating their eviction was still attached to the door as where she left it as if nobody noticed it obvious signs that nobody had been there in a while 
Given that this was a town where a lot of people were snowbirds and vacation regularly, the police did not find it odd that nobody answered the door. The Tot family were also known to travel a lot. However, between his work in Connecticut and his home in Florida, he needed to be one place or the other. Eventually, the FBI resorted to staking out his home due to his warrant. The FBI had spotted Tony walking out of his home, and they immediately called for backup. When he was spotted outside, he kind of just sat on his front porch, staggered around a little bit like he was drunk, and then went back inside. At one point, he even looks up and notices one of the agents watching him. He stands up, go inside, and he, but clearly was not okay. He kind of wobbled and stumbled to his front door. Like, imagine a severely drunk person walking up the steps. He shuts the door and disappears inside the home once again. Police and special agents approach the front door to find it slightly open. After announcing themselves, they entered his home, still announcing themselves. By the time the police entered his home, he was standing at the top of the steps. And if you're like me and you watch the body cam videos on on YouTube, you see him. He's like clearly unsteady, almost as if he was drunk. The officers were very cautious about entering his home because they knew that there's children there. They didn't want to frighten the children, you know. He can barely stand up straight. One of the officers asked him if he has any children in the house, to which he responds, I can't remember. They might have went to a sleepover last night. Then they ask about Megan, and he casually responds, oh, she's upstairs sleeping. He even yelled up the stairs for her, but there was no response. Police yelled up, and again, no response. So they made their way past Tony. So hold up. He says the kids are all at a sleepover. I had three kids, and they never went, all three of them went to the same sleepover. Keep in mind, they were brothers, and they were always together. So Okay, but the, the little sister, she wouldn't go on a, a sleepover with her 11- and 13-year-old brothers. I also find it weird that his response was, I don't know where they're at, but where's Megan? Oh, she's upstairs sleeping. Yeah, very, like, off. Uh, the police yell up, and again, there's no response. They make their way past Tony up the stairs to a bedroom. The door was slightly cracked open, and after calling out again, there was still no response. They pushed open the door even further. And I'm not sure what caught the officer's attention first, the smell or the sight. Either way, when they opened that door, they immediately found the two boys laying in bed. Their skin had turned black from the decay. Megan was in the bed as well, all bundled up under the blankets. It was kind of hard to see her. However, they knew that there was three children. They searched all over this house for Zoe. They asked Tony, where's Zoe? He kept saying, oh, she's sleeping. She's in the bed sleeping. They checked her crib. You know, at one point, they got to the point they were, like, checking the freezer. Like, they could not find Zoe. If you want to, like, walk away from this, you can. This is uh, the gruesome part. The, it bothered me the most. They went back into the bedroom. And upon closer examination, they found Zoe. Given the fact that she was four, 
her body decomposed faster. So they didn't find her right away because of that. Was she in the bed with the mother? They were all in the bed together. They were all in the same bed. So it wasn't that he had separated the little girl from the brother and the mom. They were all together in, like, in the master bedroom. They were in the master bedroom. They talked about, like, there's more than one mattress. Like, he drug a mattress in there. So they were all in there together. The dog was in there. The dog, right along with Zoe, you know, very tiny. Eventually, it was her hair poking out. And as you can see in the picture, it was very, like, poofy. Her hair was poking out underneath the blanket, also deceased. Agent O'Neill described the children as looking as black as leather. At this point, they had no idea how long that those bodies were there. Everyone within the family was dead, except for Tony. Police handcuffed Tony and escorted him to the hospital since he seemed disoriented and admitted to consuming a large amount of Benadryl. Fucking family annihilator. Was he trying to overdose on Benadryl? That's what he claims. This isn't even the worst part. Once at the hospital, Tony began talking to the police almost immediately. I watched the YouTube videos of his confessions. To say he showed any emotion would be a lie. There's no emotion in his face whatsoever. Confessing right off the bat that he murdered his family, but according to him, for all the right reasons. He claims that his wife and him both have been planning this for months, researching the afterlife and other spiritual things due to Megan's illness, which Tony claims was almost crippling. Apparently, they had talked to their kids about this and agreed that they all wanted to die together. Tony goes on to say that the Tot family all sat down together and discussed how they wanted to die. The one thing that was pretty adamant, they were pretty adamant about, is that they all wanted to die together. And they believed that if they left this world side by side, that they would cross over and be together pain-free in a world that they would never know any pain. Megan had also suffered two miscarriages. She felt as if she left this world, she would be reunited again with them in the afterlife. I get it. But if if you're keeping up with the belief of, like, dying together, you cross over together, then that wouldn't make sense. Because, like, the miscarriages happened. One was, like, eight years ago, and the other one was, like, three years before Zoe. So, like... It wasn't in the same time frame. So, like, therefore, if you believe that if you died together, you stayed together, you know, it, it wouldn't happen that way. Well, task force was put together to go through the house, searching for evidence of what may have actually happened. The officers there found so many disturbing things. There was teddy bears and toys laying about as if the children were going to come back to play with it at any moment. Reminders of what family life looked like in that house. In the bedroom, there were packets and bottles of Benadryl laying around. A lot of packets, more than I've ever had in my house at one time. The most disturbing thing that they found were snacks. 
thrown throughout the bedroom as if Tony was sitting there eating as his family decayed around him. Okay, so what was their cause of death? Megan's was stab wounds. The boys were stab wounds. Um, they did. They all had copious amounts of Benadryl in them. Zoe did not have Benadryl. She was suffocated. So he likely drugged them with, so that they wouldn't bite. The boys got Benadryl and stabbed. The wife got Benadryl and stabbed. If that wasn't disturbing enough, there is a note. And if you ladies want to pull it up and follow along, you can. Um, I'm going to read it and then go back over it piece by piece. It starts by saying, as 2019 comes to a close and 2020 commencing, we as a family decided that this course of salvation for several reasons. Note that they said we in that sentence. We. We are seeing the end of world prophecy coming true and chose not to have our family suffer and be subjected to foreseen tortures, continued agony. We will no longer be separated. So at this point in the note, it's a bunch of we. You know, the point of view is we. Then it says, Tony will be with us always and forever now. Megan will no longer be subjected to constant daily pain, torture of living and breathing from her progressive liver and Lyme's disease, which there's not very many mention of that. Now, so you don't know if she legitimately had that? We knew that she had a medical complication, but they never really went into the detail of it. So nobody released her medical record validating that? That I see. Okay. We believe we have made the right decision for our family and gained salvation and togetherness forever. The continued increasing depression as a result of Al Gula's suicide anniversary, which apparently was her dad. Her dad committed suicide by hanging himself in front of his house. There is some like conspiracies about that as well. Coupled with the ang- agony, you're, you're giving me some agony here. <laughs> Coupled with the agony, whatever, <laughs> the miscarriage of Connor Michael recently and Avery eight years ago has just fueled the overall depression our whole family suffers on a daily basis. In conversations with the kids constantly. The focus of everlasting salvation and being together forever without pain and suffering is our ultimate goal and want. In addition, this family lives in constant fear of Robert. I'll tell you Robert's story in a second. We are very proud of what we contributed to this world, what our children have contributed, and the love we share for each other. Our one final wish is that we are kept together. Please distribute our ashes along with our fur baby Breezy and either the ocean or at Harkness so that we may be with dad in internal rest. Her dad, the one that committed suicide. We have prayed and we have meditated to our to this decision. Please continue to pray for our salvation and please be in peace that we are no longer suffering. We are sorry for the anguish and sorrow that this has caused you, but it is a decision we made as a family. 
now we will be together forever without pain and suffering. And we will watch over and protect all of you. We love you all. Important things to note is Al Gula is Megan's dad. He died of a suicide a few years ago. So uh, he has no problem saying that we, 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 I'm not being French. And, you know, we, we decided this. We, we will watch over and protect everybody. We love you all. But where's the we whenever he's still alive? Thank you. Yes. Yes. Like, if this Fam- was a fucking we- family annihilator. Yes. If this was a we decision, why it, why is he out of the we? In the YouTube confession, he states, and I'll get into it, about how he tried several times to kill himself. I, I'm going to edit this part out. He- Leave it in because it, it is a common discussion other ways that he could have committed suicide but instead he decided to take Benadryl if this is what pisses you off just wait I'm telling you there's nothing simple or easy about this episode let's go back to the note it says we 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 Tony will be with us always and forever that sounds to me like we are writing a note as we are somebody else. Yes. Yes. So and Tony will always be with us because he will be alive. We are still not a part of the we. Yes, we are not part of we. Let's go back to Robert. Robert Todd was Anthony's dad. Anthony Todd was four years old when a man barged into his house and shot his mother in her face. She lived to tell about it, lost an eye, but lived to tell about it. This woman felt like she was reliving her past when she saw her son's name in the paper. Freeze, 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 freeze. Robert, Robert, Tony's dad. Yes. But it was a man who came in and shot the mother. Robert hired somebody to shoot the mother. Okay, so he was involved. Okay, did he go to jail? He did. Okay. And they actually, in the podcast, Looking for the Tot Family, you actually hear his side of the story. And it's kind of chilling. It's disturbing. Like, uh, you definitely have to listen to that. But, you know, they do say that Loretta, his wife, actually stands next to Robert and stands for him and she says I'm not standing for him because he's my husband I'm standing because I know he didn't do it when this happened Tony was only four years old same age as Zoe and recalls hearing his mother scream moments before he heard a single shot the person who shot his mother picked Tony up because Tony ran to his mom he's scared he picked Tony up and put him back in bed And Tony recalled that to police and was traumatized by the situation. Little did Loretta know her son will be following the footsteps of his father years later. So if obvious depression stated within this note, officers asked Tony 
what he is most upset about right now, and his response is that I'm not with my family. He goes on to claim that he that this all started out as Megan's idea, since she's chronically ill, living in pain most days. She apparently began looking into the afterlife and be, and believed that if they died together, they would stay together. They sat all the kids down and asked if they how they would feel if mommy and daddy died. And of course, they responded with sad. They Were they in a cult or something? Were they like a weird religion or anything? No, it does sound very cult like that. Uh, they then asked, would you want to die with us? And the kids supposedly said yes. Tony then goes into detail as to how he managed to kill each family member. And all the while, he is discussing it as if he's discussing vacation plans. His face is emotionless. His voice did not have any ounce of sorrow. He claims that he started off by killing their four-year-old daughter, Zoe. He claims that he put her, his hand over her mouth and then a pillow and watched as life slipped out from underneath her. All the while, he recounts the story again as if there wasn't something dark and twisted about what he was saying. It gave me chills watching his face because it was very just... His voice didn't show pain. He did not tear up and... Let me tell you, as I heard this on Crime Junkie and as I watched it on YouTube, I couldn't help but cry. He moves on to Alex's room. He's dissociated. He then claims that he doesn't remember even saying any of this. He moves on to Alex's room. He claims that he had this staring battle with each other as they build up the courage and confidence for what was about to happen. He then stabs Alex, who starts kicking Tony claims that he then held his hand over his mouth and nose as well. Eventually, Alex stopped kicking and his body went limp. It is worth noting that Tony claimed to give the boys Benadryl as well in hopes that they would just pass out and not fight back. Next came Tyler. According to Tony, Megan and Tony both tag-teamed him together as they were afraid that he was going to try to escape. They ended up stabbing him and he bled out very quickly. There wasn't much of a struggle. The dog came next. Tony claimed that he held his mouth closed and put his hand over the dog's nose. Her little body gave out quickly and she was dead as well. There's a special place in hell for that asshole. Meanwhile, Tony continues to tell his story. Not a tear swells up in his eyes. He just admitted gruesome details as to how he killed his children and their beloved pet, and all the while, not a tear. He then claims that Megan turned to him and said, I want to go next. Tony hands her the knife in which she continues to stab herself in the stomach. No. 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 This is not a way you do that, first and foremost. And then second off, they can tell, a forensic analyst can tell if it's self-inflicted or... They they did go back and they did analyze her body. And yes, she was stabbed in the stomach, but it was not self-inflicted. Sorry, she was stabbed in the stomach. It was not self-inflicted. Liar, liar. Yes, because whenever you stab yourself, you show some sort of restraint. Whereas if somebody else sits there and stabs you, there's not that restraint. 
right. you're causing harm to yourself and you're gonna hesitate and they can tell that yeah right. she continues to stab herself in the stomach they laid in bed next to each other and nothing happened 45 minutes went by and she just wanted to die she wanted tony to help her but he just laid next to her she then d- decided to try to stab her liver hours ticked by she felt as if she wasn't dying quick enough she begged tony to place a pillow over her head as if he had done to zoe she, she just- felt like she wasn't dying quick enough yes supposedly <laughs> He claims she just kept saying, if you love me, then you will kill me. I want to be with my babies. He paints her as this very narcissistic person. Of course, she's not here to defend herself either. He had her take Benadryl as well and so that she didn't try to fight back. Eventually, she got her wish and she passed on. Tony was next. He had successfully murdered their three children, their family dog, and his wife, but now suddenly unable to kill himself. Supposedly, he had tried over and over to kill himself. Various attempts and methods were used, but he just couldn't find a successful way out. He talks about how he used razor blades to cut himself, or zip tie around his neck, which there was no note of any, like, you know, marks around his neck. Sounds like he lied. Oh, he lied his ass off the entire time. Which, maybe it's a good thing that he was caught and he didn't commit suicide so that I don't think he would have committed justice. I don't think he would have committed suicide. I think he would have lived the double life. Because he kind of already was, right? I think he had a plan. Uh, Do you think he had a girlfriend in Connecticut? I wonder. It doesn't say anything about it, but I wonder. So it's a good thing he didn't complete suicide. Right. Because now, my, we wouldn't get justice for the rest of the family. But right. it's aggravating that he had no problem sitting there doing this to his family. And then sit there and boo-hoo and ball about, oh, we, this was our decision. We, we, we. But he still is not a part of the we equation. And be prepared. Because this is the part that I can, I hear, I can hear you now, okay? This is the part I've been waiting for. This is going to piss you off, okay? Get all these plans, nothing successful. But during this time frame, he was seen at his local Starbucks buying coffee. I, I wish you were unmuted at that point. I knew that was coming. He went to fucking Starbucks. To get coffee. Is this some kind of fucking treat? Hey, I just killed my whole family. You know when I get Starbucks after I complete fucking therapy? I could really go for some coffee. <laughs> I could use a treat. I just annihilated my whole family. I'm going to go get a venti iced vanilla latte with oat milk and two I'm extra really cups of treat, that but... vanilla. Yes. What's up? You guys are so bougie. <laughs> that is some fucking horse shit. Yeah. He went to Starbucks. I'm sorry. This is not, this isn't real. Like, you're shitting me, right? He no. went to fucking Starbucks? Now, that was according to Crime Junkie. I, I don't want this in the episode, but 
According to Crime Junkie, he went to Starbucks. <laughs> I have not found anything about that. But from what she has gathered, he went to Starbucks. Motherfucker went to Starbucks to get coffee. While his family lay rotting in his bedroom. Asshole. Um, it is worth noting that the ME could not come up at at the at the time of the recording of looking for the top family, uh, they were not able to determine when the family died. Just, I was just that, about to ask were, that it was more than two weeks that they were in that house. I would have. I think because I had read some stuff. I think it was before Christmas. They suspected. So mind you, they stopped talking around around Thanksgiving, and right here it. it uh, well, and maybe they did have a cold or a flu or there was a stomach bug or something. Or maybe they were just poisoned with Benadryl. For a long time before he decided to go through with it. Investigators determined that they laid there for at least two weeks, which would put them close to Christmas time when the family died. One chilling question asked in the interview was when an officer looked at Tony and asked, did you guys celebrate Christmas? To which Tony responded, they were already dead. Anthony, yeah, was there like Christmas presents or anything under the tree? Did they say? There's nothing said about their Christmas other than did they celebrate Christmas. Anthony Tote was convicted of murder of his family and sentenced to life without possibility of parole plus one year for animal cruelty. While in jail, however, Tony's sister called in to speak to Tony, and they have a recording of it. He basically talks about how much he loved Megan and how he tried talking her out of it. He claims that he could no longer take fault for what she did. He swears that Megan did it, and he only helped because he feared her. He then said he really doesn't remember any of this. And that he has no account of where he was or who he was. He just remembers waking up in the hospital clueless. So he's pretty much saying that because of the Benadryl that I took, the amount of Benadryl I took, I don't remember confessing. And that Starbucks coffee. Or that Starbucks coffee. Or the snacks that he ate in the bedroom as his family died. He's removing himself from the situation completely and removing... All, all responsibility. Yeah, he's removing all responsibility from what had happened. He is. He bought a first-class one-way ticket to Delusion City. Yeah, blame the victims. He then goes to change his story and says that he was not home during the time of the murders. He was at the um, condo. He was going over to look for a necklace that Zoe wanted so bad and couldn't find it. So he just fell asleep over at the condo and was coming back in the morning to find his family dead. Um, he claims he wasn't even there when they were murdered. Then he claims that he showed up and his family was dead, except for his wife, who was killing him herself right in front of him. He was really stuck on this necklace. It was a Mickey Mouse necklace that Zoe wanted so bad. It's also worth noting that his sister went to the condo and found the necklace right away. It was like in her jewelry box. Um, 
And when his sister said, yeah, I found her necklace, he was so relieved that he almost began to cry. Which I thought was strange. Until I learned that everybody else in the family died with a piece of jewelry attached to them. So he must have been pissed because he, you know, he killed Zoe, but she didn't have a necklace. And then she did, you know. Tot then claimed that Megan was behind this and that he was grief stricken. He says she lost her mind and began killing the kids. And when he arrived home, his kids were dead and Megan was bleeding to death. In April, Tot goes through court where the jury decides whether he is guilty or not. He begins to cry finally at this point, but it almost sounds forced. This seemed to be the first tear he shared about his family, which leads me to know that deep down, this was all an act. When asked if he killed the family, he claims no. he never seen this coming. He was completely blindsided by what Megan did. The court brings up that he, what he said in the, to the investigators. They replayed the videos and listened to the gruesome details that he once told the officers on how he got away with the murdering of his family. They go through each family member and replay how they died or how he claimed they died. He claimed that, yes, he did say that, but that wasn't the truth, blaming Benadryl for the confession. He claimed it was all Megan and that she did it. Of course, it was left to the jury to defend her as he threw his dead wife's name under the bus. Eventually, the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder and animal cruelty. They claim that, yes, it could have been possible that Megan killed those kids, but given his confection prior, they felt as if that was the real truth. They did not need to be investigated on how or who killed them. After he is pronounced guilty, he stands to address the court one more time. He says, This was a personal catastrophe for everyone in my family, including myself. I maintain my innocence. I love my wife and children. I was not there the night my children died. I did not do this. The judge nicknamed Tony the destroyer of worlds. May he forever rot in his cell. I hope every morning he wakes up and he bangs his knee off with something. 